copy of God's Word, would you, and turn with me to Acts chapter 21. We began this morning with the benefits of exercising physically. We know that there are benefits to exercising physically and how that parallels the benefits of exercising our unity as a body of believers. It's so important that we get a good handle on why we need to be unified as a body of believers and the importance of that and then begin practicing and exercising our unity. I noted this morning that a lack of exercising our unity can really make for some painful situations when, we, when we've come to the point where we have to practice unity. You know, when you come to the point in a relationship where there's, where there's a break in that relationship or there's something that's, that's wrong that needs to be mended, uh, sometimes those situations can be painful, can't they? So it's important as a church that we, that we exercise unity, that we work on it, right? That we work it out and we get a good grasp of it and we practice it. We practice unity and work on and exercise unity. I see unity in the body of Christ as uh, just simply defined as regularly practicing a charitable, tender-hearted, compassionate willingness to get along, but you don't have to do that without compromising sound doctrine. You ought to be able to do that and not compromise sound doctrine. I say that because it seems like it's very common these days for some believers and some churches to say, well, we want to tone it down a bit because Um, When you preach right out of the Bible, you know, that can be um, offensive to some people. It hurt people's feelings. And we we want to be sensitive and charitable to people's feelings, so we're going to sacrifice a little bit of doctrine. And if you do that, you you basically do more harm than good. So we know, and Scripture speaks of the fact that the gospel is offensive in many ways. We're not going to tone down the gospel. We're not going to temper the gospel message, but by all means, there ought to be ways that we can be charitable and kind and loving and compassionate in how we get along. There are some things that are that are rock solid from God's Word, but we're going to find in the passage we're looking at tonight that there were there are times that uh, that Paul Paul was uh, was willing to be. Uh, be, be told what to do. You're going to see him being asked what to do and told what to do and going along with some things, not, not things that were wrong, not things that were counter-gospel, not things that were against the gospel, but he was willing to get along with people and do things that might have been some things that were unnecessary and un, unneeded. He was willing to do those things in, effort, in an effort to have unity in the body of Christ. We noted this morning that exercising our unity is very important for several reasons, the most important of which are that exercising our unity advances the cause of Christ. Exercising our unity advances the cause of Christ. It also promotes spiritual growth. And it brings great glory to God. We also emphasize that a failure to exercise unity brings just the opposite of those positive outcomes of of unity in the church, there are some negatives that can happen if we fail to exercise unity. A failure to exercise our unity really hinders the cause of Christ. We don't want to be about that, do we? We don't want to hinder the cause of Christ. It also hinders our spiritual growth as individual believers and as a church. 
It also harms the name of God. It harms the name of Christ. So some key reasons, some very important reasons to exercise unity. We noted this morning, too, that just as physical exercise is important, so is the exercise of unity in the body of Christ very important. We saw examples of unity and how Paul and the other believers met, how they shared with one another what God was doing, how Paul especially shared the, 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 the details of what God had been doing in and through his ministry. And we noted with their example that they, they gave a very good example about how to be unified in that, that they, were, they were not promoting themselves. So Paul did not promote himself. For those believers who who desire to exercise unity, there will be no self-promotion. Paul didn't say, look at what I accomplished. Let me recount for you all the things that I did. He didn't say that, did he? If you go with me to Acts chapter 21 and look at verse, Acts chapter 21, verse 20, 19. um, Actually, let's back up a little bit more. Go back to verse 18. um, Verse 18, on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told them in detail, he went into very, very great detail about those things which God had done. And that's an important phrase I want you to see and I remind you of it because it emphasizes for us that Paul was not promoting himself. He was bringing glory to God, not bringing glory to himself. He told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So we learn from Paul and we learn from these elders here, these believers in Acts 21, that there's no room for self-promotion. There's also no room for jealousy. The elders and the others glorified God at how God had brought great success through Paul's ministry. They didn't get you know, jealous about what God had done through Paul's efforts and Paul's work and ministry and how God had used him. So there's no room for jealousy. And those believers who want to exercise their unity, there'll be a a lack of self-centeredness, a lack of self-promotion, no self-promotion, no room for jealousy. Also, we noted this morning that they'll learn to rejoice with each other. A believer who wants to exercise unity will learn how to rejoice with others who rejoice, you know, Often we can get, you know, go back to that jealousy. When something good happens to someone else, we go, boy, that's great, you know. Why'd that happen to them? How come it didn't happen to me? Boy, look at, the, you know, look at me. I didn't, I didn't get what they got. You know, we we kind of go that way as children, right? And sometimes we don't grow out of that. Right, absolutely. So important that we learn to rejoice with those who rejoice. Learn to rejoice with others. We see that they did that. They were very good about that. They, they heard Paul and they heard all that he described, all the details about what God had done, and what did they do? They gave God glory. They glorified God and they thanked God for the good things that God had done through Paul's ministry. And when they had heard it, verse 20, and when they had heard it, they glorified the Lord. So there's no room for self-promotion. There's no room for jealousy. And we need to learn to rejoice with each other. Well, there's another key to unity seen in the remaining verses of our study, and Paul illustrates it well for us in his response to a difficult situation as we continue with the verses that follow that we looked at this morning. 
we're going to find that uh, Paul faces a very difficult situation and things get worse from here on out for Paul in a way uh, because he is uh, taken into captivity here later in this chapter. We're not going to look at that tonight. But he begins to face a difficult situation. And for me, it was another key to how, to, to how we as a church and how we as a body of Christ exercise our unity. When I see what Paul is doing here, it's a, I tell you, it's a huge challenge to me, and I had to really think about my own heart and my own life and my own attitude uh, when it comes to unity. And I want to challenge you with, with this one thought tonight, but we're going to have to take a roundabout way because there's, there's a narrative here that we want to look at. But I'll just give you this nugget of information, and then we're going to look at the narrative, and then I'll bring it home for you in just a moment. But we see this in Paul, that he was a humble peacemaker. That he was a humble peacemaker. And if we want to exercise our unity, then we need to be humble peacemakers. Okay, let me, I've kind of laid that foundation. Let's look at the text here. We'll look at the narrative here, and then I'll draw it together in a conclusion here in just a few moments. So verse 20, go back to verse 20 with me, and let's pick up where we left off this morning in the last half of verse 20. You see, brother, the elders talking to Paul here. You see, brother, how many myriads, that's thousands and thousands, many thousands, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to to the customs. Stop right there at the end of verse 21. Verse 20 relates that Paul had, had barely finished sharing what God had been doing and of course they rejoiced with him over what God had been doing and then when they were done he said they unloaded kind of a a little problem a big problem verse 20 relates that Paul just barely finished sharing what God had been doing when the elders bring to Paul's attention something they they seemed a, a bit apprehensive about and though there were thousands of Jewish believers now something Certainly something to rejoice about, and I'm sure they did. The the elders were also concerned that many of those new Jewish believers were still very zealous for the law. They, They were still wanting to practice many of their Jewish customs and practices. John MacArthur notes this. He says, why were they still clinging to the customs and rituals of the Old Covenant? Well, first, because those customs and rituals had been established by God. Coming to faith in Jesus Christ enhanced these Jewish believers' love for God and desire to obey him, and thus may have motivated a greater zeal for the old ceremonies. Second, the apostles and other leaders in the Jerusalem church did not oppose the continuation of these practices. Nowhere in the New Testament are Jewish believers condemned for observing them. In fact, Paul commends tolerance for such weaker brothers until they grow to understand their freedom and can use it with clear consciences. The Jerusalem Council, while forbidding imposition of Old Covenant rituals on Gentiles, did not prohibit Jewish believers from continuing to observe them. God himself was tolerant during this period of transition, knowing how difficult it was for the Jewish Christians to break with their past. He also knew that in a few years, 
this would no longer be a dominant issue in the church. Christianity gradually became a predominantly Gentile faith, and other churches, such as Antioch and Alexandria, ascended to the forefront, says John MacArthur. So there were several thousand new Jewish believers still observing the Jewish customs and practices. And the elders bring this to Paul, and we see in verse 21 that their concern was founded in the rumors that had been circulating about Paul among the believers in Jerusalem. It's fairly clear that the the legalists had been stirring things up behind the scenes and, and making things difficult for Paul. Now, what were the rumors that were circulating? Verse 21, again, let me read it again. But they have been informed, these these new Jewish believers adhering to the law, but they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. Now we have to ask, was this true? Was it true that Paul was teaching the Jews to forsake Moses, to not circumcise their sons, to neglect their customs? No, it was not true that Paul was doing this. This was a complete fabrication. Wearsby says, Paul did warn the Gentiles not to get involved in the old Jewish religion, but he nowhere told the Jews that it was wrong for them to practice their customs, so long as they did not trust in ceremony or make their customs a test of fellowship. There, were free, there, there was freedom to observe special days and diets, And believers were not to judge or condemn one another. The same grace that gave the Gentiles freedom to abstain also gave the Jews freedom to observe. All God asked was that they receive one another and not create problems or divisions. It seems incredible that Paul's enemies would accuse him of these things, for all the evidence was against them. Paul had Timothy circumcised before taking him along on that second missionary journey, back in Acts chapter 16. Paul had taken a Jewish vow while in Corinth, Acts 18. And it was his custom not to offend the Jews in any way by deliberately violating their customs or the law of Moses. However, rumors are not usually based on fact, but thrive on half-truths, prejudices, and outright, outright lies, says Warren Wearsby. Now that brings me to another concern, which I want to stop just for a moment and make mention of because it's very important. There's a warning here for us in this caution from Warren Wearsby, and we see the danger of it illustrated in our passage here tonight. Rumors, half-truths, and lies. Outright lies. We ought to be very careful that we aren't listening to rumors, very careful that we aren't listening to half-truths and even flat-out lies. We need to be very cautious about what we take from others, what we hear from others about other people. If you'll... If you'll let me, I'll go back and quote John MacArthur one more time. He says, he points out that the Judaizers had been circulating these lies about Paul and about Paul's ministry and that they'd actually contradicted themselves several times. They had actually said one thing in one circumstance about Paul and they'd said another thing about Paul in another circumstance contradicting themselves. And and they were just letting these lies spread about Paul and that they simply said whatever was expedient at the moment, whatever, whatever advanced their cause and whatever hurt Paul the most in his ministry. MacArthur says, It is hardly surprising that the children of the father of lies resort to lies. Lies are one of the main ways Satan attacks the work of God. Believers should be slow to accept accusation 
accusations about other Christians, particularly leaders, 1 Timothy 5.19, especially when such charges originate with opponents of the Christian faith. So I say it's a caution to us that we be very careful about listening to accusations from those who would seek to do harm to the cause of Christ and the ministry and to others. And to be very cautious about when we hear people saying, well, you know about so-and-so, they said such-and-such, or they did this. or that. I mean, first of all, what do we do in a situation when somebody starts telling us about something someone else did that they feel was wrong or inappropriate, what, what's the first thing we ought to do? We say, wait a minute, you know, have you talked to that person? Have you talked to them? That's what we do first, right? That's what we have to do first. That's what the scriptures teach us, Matthew 18. So I say be be very cautious about when we listen to others. It's something I think we have to constantly be on guard against because it's so easy for us to talk about what's going on and say talking about other people's lives. And there's something about us in our nature. We just love to talk about what's going on and other people, and those things can quickly turn into negative things. So it's a caution for us, isn't it, that we be very careful about listening to accusations from those who would seek to do harm to the cause of Christ, even to the ministry of others and to other people. And this is a problem that's not easily detected, is it? Sometimes it's very subtle. It could come from people who seem to have a a real interest in God's work and the ministry at heart, but their motives are ultimately selfish. So, So great caution must be exercised. We need to be very careful and cautious about what we hear from others and what we do with that and how we how we allow that to fall on our ears, so to speak. Because rumor and false accusation can do great harm to the cause of Christ. It can do great harm to the work of the church. And if it isn't challenged with the truth, it can do great harm to people as well. Now, the claims against Paul were false, but it still didn't eliminate the problem, did it? These were false claims. But there was still a problem to be dealt with, wasn't there? Let's continue. Look at verses 22 through 26. What then? They say, what then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. They knew that when Paul, he was a well-known figure. When he had come, they knew that they were, the people were going to want to gather together and hear from Paul. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, they, for they will hear that, that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that, all, and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. And verse 25, But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. So what the leaders were asking Paul to do was to give a public demonstration of his respect for the Jewish law. And they wanted him to show himself with four men under a Nazarite vow and to pay for their expenses for the sacrifices and to go with them to the temple for their period of purification. Did Paul do what they asked? Yes, he did. He did. Was he right to do this? 
Was he right to do it? Again, Wiersbe says, if it had been a matter of involving somebody's personal salvation, you can be sure that Paul would never have cooperated, for that would have compromised his message of salvation by grace through faith. But this was a matter of personal conviction on the part of Jewish believers who were given the freedom to accept or reject the customs. Paul reported to the priest the next day, and shared in the purification ceremony, but he himself did not take any vows. He and the men had to wait seven days and then, after the prescri- and then offer the prescribed sacrifices. So as I said earlier, that another key seen in our passage here to exercising our unity is that we, we need to be humble peacemakers. And the fact that Paul took this instruction and he took it humbly, he could have said, now wait a minute, these are false accusations. I'm not going to do anything to make them think that you know what they said... I'm not going to do anything to defend myself. You know, he could have gotten up in arms. You don't see that from Paul here. He was a humble peacemaker. Paul was a humble peacemaker. Paul could have been stubborn. He could have rejected what the elders had proposed. He could have, he could have said to them, no, look, you're not, going to, you're not going to ask me to do something like that. That's meaningless stuff for me. That doesn't mean anything for me. I don't need to do those things. He didn't do that. Paul could have been stubborn. He could have rejected what the elders had proposed, but he did not. And it was for the sake of the gospel and the unity of the church that Paul humbly submitted to what the elders had requested of him. And I think we can learn from here, from this, and, and, and I'm definitely challenged by this because there are often times when we say, well, you know, those are just some things that I don't have to do. That's not necessary. I'm not, I'm not constrained by that. I'm not convicted by that. But what Paul did involved culture and tradition, didn't it? It it was not a necessity. He knew that it was not a necessity. He also knew that it didn't affect Christianity. He didn't affect the faith in Jesus Christ that you experience when you trust in Jesus Christ. It would not have an effect on your trust in Jesus Christ. These were outward workings. These were old traditions. And it was not a necessity. And I see what Paul did here was really a true, and it was a demonstration of his heart and his attitude, his, his humility, a real demonstration of what he spoke about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Would you turn there with me just for a minute? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, because I see what he, he practices here in Acts 21 is, a real, is, a, is an outworking, is a demonstration of what his heart attitude is, his real humility and what his real desire was that we see in 1 Corinthians 9. Look at verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Verse 22, to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do why? He says, for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. And I say, Paul's humble, peacemaker attitude 
as seen here, is, is a great challenge to us, a great encouragement to us to look for ways that we need to exercise our unity in being humble peacemakers. When it comes to our differences, there are things that we may differ on. I had the question when someone was leaving this morning. They asked, if, if I don't believe everything this church believes, if I don't believe in everything you say you believe in, can we still be, you know, can we still have unity? I said, yeah. Is your foundation in Christ? You believe in Jesus Christ? You believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that is an inherent word of God? Are we going to have differing opinions about some things? We probably all have some different, differing opinions of some things. Can we still have unity? Absolutely. Why? Because the foundation is Jesus Christ. And Paul's humble peacemaker attitude is seen here as a real challenge to my heart, my own thinking. And I know that I have a long way to go to come close, anywhere close to Paul's gracious example here. I would just say pray for me. I pray for you. I pray for this church. And, and, and my prayer is that we, we are each encouraged and challenged to exercise our unity, to practice our unity, be practiced up in, in our unity, in, in the ways that we are unified as believers. Start with the foundation, Jesus Christ. Start with the things that are, that are given. So, you know, straight from God's word, we say, well, you know, we know that God's word is authoritative for our life and practice. What's the answer to this predicament? What's the answer to this question? Let's go to God's word together. And when you go to God's word together, have a humble attitude about what you're going to find in God's word because God might change your mind about what you find. He might change your attitude. He might change the way that you deal with others when you come with a humble peacemaker attitude and you're willing to come together and discuss a difference with someone you might have and say, you know, I love you, a brother and sister in Christ. I love you. And I want to, I want to deal in a gracious way with you. Let's talk about our difference. Let's talk about this broken relationship. Let's talk about this problem that we're experiencing right now. Let's ask for God's wisdom. Let's pray together. And that's, Let's try to work through this in a Christ-honoring way. You know, as a church, when, when we do that, when we practice and we exercise our unity, I believe that will bring great, great glory to God. And I think there will be a tremendously powerful witness in our community because it is so easy for us to be torn apart, isn't it? It is so easy for us to get crossways with people and go, oh, that kind of bugs me, you know? And to get ornery with each other. And it's so easy in the world, you know what, they pick up that. They pick up on that in an instant. When the church is crossways and there's turmoil in the church, the world says, look at that. I don't need that. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. Look at that. They can't even get along with each other. It's so critical, isn't it? That we come to God's word and we learn from Paul's example. I pray that we'll each be encouraged and challenged to exercise unity. So let's stand. Would you stand with me tonight as we pray to be dismissed with a word of prayer? And I, I pray and I ask for God's help in this. I need a great amount of help in this and this being a, a humble peacemaker. And I trust and I ask you to pray for me in this as we endeavor to be a church that glorifies God, brings great glory to God's name, as we seek to advance the cause of Christ and win people to Christ by our example, yes? So let's ask for God's help in this. Precious Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for the words you've given us, the example of Paul here. We know that he was human like we are, but, but there's a great example here you've given us in your word of, of his uh, Christ-like 
attitude, his humble peacemaker attitude, in the way that he dealt with the elders here in, in Jerusalem, and the way that they rejoiced together. Lord, help us to rejoice together. Help us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us to not uh, be, uh, be envious of one another, what you do through our lives for your glory. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to not be self-centered and self-promoting and, and um, conceited. Help us to be very careful about those things. Lord, I pray that you'd give us great wisdom as a church and as, as individual believers that you would draw us constantly back to your word and the wisdom that you have for us here and that we would yield to that wisdom and that we would yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives to make us truly people who love you with everything that we have and love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a good evening.